Hey guys, I'm Adam Rapport, and this is the Bon Appetit Foodcast. All right, before we get started with this week's show, I want to remind you that we are doing a live podcast on April 17th at the Bell House in Brooklyn. It is a red sauce themed evening of conversation, readings, food and drink, some Italian-American favorite bites from our folks in the BA Test Kitchen. And those folks will also be on stage. We'll have Brad and Claire and Andy and Molly, uh, the whole gang, as well as some outside guests reading some essays. You can buy tickets at thebellhouseny.com slash events. Hope to see you there. All right, this week's show, we've got on Angela DiMayuga, former executive chef of New York City's Mission Chinese Food. Uh, Last year, Angela took a job as the creative director of the Standard Hotel Group uh, to oversee the hotel's restaurants and programming. Talk to her about what it was like to go from being on the line in a restaurant kitchen into a field that encompasses a very different kind of work, as well as some of the projects she's undertaking, including opening No Bar, one of the first gay bars in a major hotel at the Standard East Village, and of course, how she likes to cook for herself at home. All right, here we go. Can we talk about your orange jacket? Yeah, we can. I thought that you might ask about That's, my orange jacket. I mean, you walked in with a furry orange jacket. It's That's going to. What did we it's talk about? You have to pile. talk into the mic, remember? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just I was doing show and tell, which no one can see. Are we rolling? Oh, we're rolling. Yeah, we're rolling. It's a jacket that I got as a gift from Robin's team. Robin, the musical performer. Oh, wow. Okay. She did a line with a Swedish designer and had a little fashion presentation. And she sent me some stuff. And it's kind of like a bomber jacket, but furry orange. Yeah, it's like a, a deep pile fleece, dark Ooh, deep orange. Deep pile fleece. It's deep pile. It's I, not the I, short. I know. I, I just like that phrase. You got Isn't the, like, it fun? the lingo down. Deep yeah. pile. Well, I, I yeah, I've done some deep Patagonia research. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So deep pile fleece, and then it's kind of like a sweater and a jacket. Yeah, so what it's got it? like sweater sort of wrist sleeves and waistband and stuff. It's kind of fallish, but yeah. good for this in between right now. Exactly. So but thanks for asking. Yeah, how's the new gig going? Newish? Still yeah. new? It still feels new. Very when did, new. When did you start at the Standard? I started in April of last year. Okay. So. Oh wow, you're coming out a year. Yeah. 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 April or I really started in May, but technically it's April. Okay. So I have a lot of questions, but I one kind of starting off was that notion, which I think I kind of feel like. You're sort of perhaps I don't want I don't know forefront is the right word, but kind of in this wave of like chefs who realize oh I can still be a chef without having to like work the line and be the chef at a restaurant, mm-hmm. and that I can take my skills or talents and apply them elsewhere in a way that's not like the typical old school chef way. And when yeah. did when did you realize that, and what was that process for you like in terms of making a career change? Yeah. I mean, I I feel like I had an inkling of this early on in my career because I was natural at doing things that seemed apparently abnormal. Such as? Plating and getting the plating down properly or coming up with um, a concept for plating naturally that was aesthetically pleasing. And I was really young when I was commended for that type of work at 20. So I had inklings of. Oh, wait, hold on. So yeah. I'm not. I'm not. I'm That's not, okay. I'm not a professional chef. That's so okay. when you. Sorry. So where were you working, and why was that unusual at that point where people I was noticed? Work, yeah, I was working as a line cook, so I was just replicating 
patterns that you needed to for executing a dish, right? Mm -hmm. So sometimes if the plating techniques were intricate, they might not render for a young line cook. And it was one of my very first line cook jobs. And then my chef, who and eventually- And where was this? This was at Vinegar Hill House. Okay, My Brooklyn. chef at the time acknowledged that I was very good at plating. So I thought that was interesting and kind of held on to that. Then I just sort of fell into being more comfortable knowing that I'm a visual person. Yeah. Were you that? Did you like? Were you like an art student in high school and stuff? Or no, I was interested in the arts. I like. I chose a high school that had a good art program, and that was very different than my siblings choosing their schools, just because I was interested in things like photography and ceramics. And when I went to college, I studied general humanities, so that was very interdisciplinary. So if I wasn't working as a chef, I imagined myself to be an, um, an academic. Um, yeah, so I took like very interdisciplinary courses. I was interested in gender studies, film, classes on Tokyo. So you're working at Vinegar Hill House, yeah. and like, as you know, and you can tell anyone, like working on the line, like that's a grind. Like, yeah, that's, that's a grind. manual labor, long hours. You're really hustling. Did you feel like you were getting the sort of creative intellectual release that you wanted from that job at the time, or like how did those sort of things balance? Really, yeah. Not really, because I was an executor and an expediter. Um, I was very aware that I wanted to also fill my time outside the restaurant with hobbies and hanging out with my friends who happened to be artists. So I felt like that really helped cement me on the path to feeling comfortable being a creative person. Did you have time outside the kitchen? Like, what was your, really. what, what was your, what kind of schedule were you keeping back then when you're 21 I mean, years old? I was. Working, I was starting my evening shift quite late comparatively, you know, maybe because it's a small restaurant, yeah. maybe between one and two or 12 and two, which is pretty late. But in then in the afternoon, in the afternoon, yes. and then we only had dinner service for most for, for the most part. And I would close, that meant I was done at 12. This was very cushy Brooklyn hours. And so working 12 hours a day is cushy? That's considered cushy. You, and should, you should come work in magazines. <laughs> <laughs> and then, but then the thing is, is that I would hang out with my friends after work. Well, so yeah, so talk about that as a chef, yeah. especially as a young line cook, you get off and I, you must be, at that point, you're not like, oh, I'm going to go to bed. You must be like wired and yeah, exactly. wide awake, right? Yeah, yeah. I would, the way I would describe it succinctly is that I would go to these weird parties. They were just parties that I would attend um, with a lot of artists. And so I already felt very different than my li like peer line cooks and chefs that I worked for because a lot of them maybe didn't really care about art. Mm -hmm. um, and the people I was hanging out with were making art. It wasn't I was just going to galleries. I would go yeah. to galleries too, but that was just a peer community that I was really inspired by. And I definitely feel like that's what cemented me in my footing here in New York City. Okay, New York is a place I can stay and not just like come for a year or two and then move yeah. somewhere else. Yeah, and that I had a community, mm -hmm. and the community wasn't just my coworkers that were chefs. They were people doing lots of different things: industrial design, poets, musicians. Which I, I mean, it's interesting because New York as a city, I've always felt like it can either be a kind of intimidating sort of. I don't know if lonely is the right word, but it's just so big yeah. and sort of overwhelming. Yeah. Or it can be a city where you do find your, your crew, your people, and all of a sudden. Yeah, exactly. So that's why I moved here. I, I was interested in working in restaurants, for sure. That's why I came. But I had an instant community that I would hang out with. Before I moved here, I would come visit a lot. And I just thought that everyone here was really inspiring that I was friends with. Most of them went to the Pratt Institute. And so 
I felt like I had a community that was sort of handed to me and I felt embraced by that community. And so that allowed me to feel pretty balanced as a chef early on, working on my career and then hanging out with them. So I think that really set me up to feel comfortable with who I am and what I cared about. And then when I had an opportunity to work professionally with them came when I started working at Mission and there were a lot of opportunities for work, like who would design our business card or who would work with me to design a new menu or who can I reach out to within my immediate community that I really, I was really inspired by to do an art installation, et cetera. So uh, once I started working with them professionally, where these people had been my friends for a long time and then I had an opportunity to give them where we could work together on something that they've never worked on before, restaurants. Um, everyone was very interested and provided really fun ideas that wouldn't have normally come out of maybe restaurant design yeah. like work. So as you sort of ascended and within the restaurant ranks and you were executive chef mm -hmm. at admission, mm -hmm. um, that notion of balancing, well, there's food, someone's got to be on top of the food and the menu and cooking, but then someone also, and to your point, understand the aesthetics of a restaurant, the cars, the menu, the vibe. The vibe. And all those things, and you only have so much mental power hours yeah. in the day. How did you balance that sort of dichotomy? For me, it was necessary. There was an opportunity to do so, especially with um, the second iteration of Mission Chinese in New York on East Bowery, where the space needed a soul, and I was interested in helping provide what that what that meant. And so I was very excited to expand the menu and uh, be really ambitious with it and make consistent food plate after plate. However, in the early stages of building it, I thought that it would make a lot more sense to, for my personal interest in restaurant spaces and making it unique and interesting. Um, so there was a full context of the experience of you getting a plate of food or you getting a plate of fried rice, right? Mm -hmm. So I was interested in designing a fried rice and, and creating that, but I was also interested in what that experience was, um, where, um, you know, what, what did the lighting look like? Uh, what did, what was the upholstery on the chairs? What was uh, the type of napkin you had? And then more than that, how do we decorate the space? And yeah. how did each part of the restaurant feel like a different experience? I was really interested in that. And really the best way I could describe it is I was always interested in restaurants feeling like portals into a time that you might not be able to play, so it's not referential to something directly, but an amalgamation of that. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> but so you, so a lot of thought goes into the look and feel and vibes mm -hmm. of the restaurant, but then in on a on typical night of mission, were you still in the kitchen most of the time on the line, or were you a chef who was sort of out and about in the dining room? Yeah, I mean, initially, so I, I participated in lots of restaurant openings, mm -hmm. and um, if you, at least... In my process, if I'm um, the, the head chef and executive chef and designing a whole menu, um, I'm making those dishes and expediting and basically starting a brand new restaurant. So creating infrastructure and systems and how the kitchen will relate to the front of the house. But um, once those systems are in place, you hand, you know, my goal was to hand it to somebody that runs it. So with full intention, when we started that um, restaurant, I had somebody working right behind me in a lower position that was to work in a higher position. Mm. So you kind of, for me, you're always kind of looking two steps ahead. Like, how do I make this sustainable? Because there's a lot of other aspects to building the identity of this space and our footing within the community that 
would also require me to have uh, nights that I could, I don't know, sit in the dining room um, in my whites and hang out with our, our people that came and visited and talk them through the menu. And then, you know, later uh, nights where I wasn't in my chef uniform and I was doing other things like events or just socializing with some people, but also ma- taking meetings. There was like a lot of layers of like how we did business there. So uh, really in the last two years, it, I felt more of like a creative director. It just sort of happened that way and evolved that way. And I would do a lot more event-based work where I would do collaborative work with another chef or just all different types of people that mm-hmm. weren't chefs. Well, I mean, is it fair to say that when Danny hired you to be the chef of the restaurant, you you were in the position of someone that you were then hiring to work below you in the sense of being in the kitchen and executing. Yeah. And, th- and then you all of a sudden sort of matured into a different role. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of chef owners imagine that for themselves. Like um, Jean, who I mentioned from Vinegar Hill, who I worked with when she opened up Vinegar Hill. And so this was me at a very young age working for someone like her where – you know, she opened up the restaurant knowing that she wanted to set it up and then hand it to a chef that might hand it to another chef, et cetera, yeah. right? So I've been around that type of like young entrepreneurship. And so that was something that was very apparent when I started working for the first Mission Chinese on Orchard Street where Danny hired me. And when I first started, I was running the line right away. I mean, that was something that was decided between the two of us. But with me at Mission on East Broadway, I wanted to figure out systems because it was a whole new beast, 130 seats. We hadn't run a restaurant. I had never run a restaurant like that before and with the company, we'd never either. So it was really trying to set up systems for this to be long-term sustainable. Yeah. I always think it's like it's it's comparable in the fashion world. Like if you look at fashion designers like Marc Jacobs or Giorgio Armani, like they're not the ones who are actually designing every piece of clothing, mm-hmm. but they're the ones who conceptually sort of run the company at least mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. have the creative direction in mind. Yeah, and I didn't even really know that that was gonna happen. It just kind of happened that way. And then it's just, I think I became interested in a lot more that helped inspire things like dishes or a vibe or understanding like what type of community we needed or at, like minimally, I was really interested in building a restaurant space that felt like an institution. I thought that was really powerful. And that was something I really wanted for myself and my work. Yeah. Um, and then that evolved into being really inspired and working with all different types of people eventually. And, you know, when I left Mission, that was some, that's what I wanted to do also. I wanted to explore. So you left, what, when, did, when, when was your I last day there? I left in October of 2017. Uh-huh. But right when I left, I just continued all these projects that I'd been working on. So uh, again, like the best way I could describe it is just like these weird food projects. So they didn't always mean Mm. me um, building a new unique menu. Sometimes it would, but it also meant maybe um, working at at an artist residency at a gallery and then doing classes for kids, teaching them about uh, why food is also important to think about as visual and sculptural or food design jobs with fashion houses just like a lot of different things. And so I was already on that track of sort of being interested in diversifying my own work in my skill set. So I felt comfortable doing production or like doing creative direction for a fashion show where food was involved heavily and then working with a production team and a chef, a local like Parisian Japanese chef 
and the lead designers of the company. So that kind of work to me, I felt really confident and comfortable with. Do you miss working in the kitchen at all? I don't. I don't because I feel like I'm, I still cook and design dishes and um and meaning what exactly so a lot of the things i mean i work as a creative director and that's really what my job is but i can go to max at in the east village and say max is the chef at the east village yeah, standard exactly and he made really amazing chicken i asked i was like we need a chicken thing at the bar i was like <laughs> think of thing. yeah like whatever kind of thing you want and because we had other items shrimp and uh, like beef brisket nachos um I said, hey, we need a chicken thing. And so he made a really amazing chicken thing in the form of really, really nice chicken tenders. And so this is I a really basic. I saw that on his, on his Instagram. Yeah, they're good. So he made a Popeye's something simple. Reference. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I intentionally am making like a bar food reference so that we're not getting too, I don't know, chef nerdy about mm -hmm. it because this is as, as simple as like this is, it can be that way. And I definitely go there. But this one example is fun because. We have his chicken strips, I love them, and then lots of friends get them and they love them too. And then I hang out with him in the kitchen and say something really simple and silly like, oh, uh, why don't we do a, he was making homemade barbecue sauce and I th thought it was really interesting tasting. I was like, why don't we do a weird combination of sweet and sour and barbecue sauce and like, let, let's just make that together. And so we work on that together and that's really fun that's a really simple that took like five minutes is that for dipping the tenders in the dip the tenders mm. in or for other things like fries but i could also do um you know at this point i'm i'm i feel really fortunate i'm being asked to participate in these really uh cerebral conceptual dinners for maybe like the geneva art biennial or the bangkok contemporary art festival and do something that where i could speak about through menu writing and actually uh creating a, a full menu um, and working with an artist, for example, I could talk about uh, social issues through menu writing, or I could talk about, you know, this was a topic that we breached, like immigrant futurism. What does that look like if the world is now, like where airports are now replaced by teleportation devices, and then if uh, you teleport illegally, you get sent to a, a prison island, and like who lives there, and then what, what food would they eat there? So I get, that's, that's exciting to me. And I love thinking imaginatively that way too, but I can also make a dipping sauce with my chef, but also design a whole dish that I could explain to Max and he understands the flavor profile and then he can do his own version of that. Have you thought about why you're good at this sort of form of collaborative creativity? Um, I think there are a few things. Maybe, maybe you have a reason just from watching me from the outside, but for me... I think I just have a lot of interests, and that's yeah. really s simple. You but seem curious. I'm very curious. Um, I feel very confident in merging worlds with people that maybe I don't, I normally wouldn't. And I think a lot of that is because food is very, it can be really simple, or it can be a really easy conversation starter. Or if you share a meal with someone, that's a place where you can create ideas and do projects together. Uh, part of the collaborative spirit that I have and curiosity is knowing that I'm very project oriented and I don't know if that's then the chef part of me um, kicking in. I feel like I have a producer mentality. So sometimes if I have a vision for something, I want to see it through and I can have sustained interest in an idea that is a year old or something that's brand new that's two weeks old and then really want to see it come to life. 
I'm going to quote you uh, <laughs> from an article. Uh, I think this way. This was yeah. This was an interview that we did with you in the magazine in the May travel issue. Actually, um, you said I don't call myself an activist. I'm just creating spaces that don't exist yet. Spaces that are inclusive to people like me. Talking about my experience and being more vocal and visible means more representation for female chefs, Asian chefs, Filipino chefs. You talk about uh, your Chef Stand Up initiative, working with ACLU, immigration rights. This obviously is important to you. When you decided to go to the standard, how much did you talk to the people who own the standard about these interests of yours and what it is you would want to do if you were to come work there? I didn't. I talked really? about what I had been doing, and a lot of these initiatives that are, are referenced here are things that we made together um, with the teams there. Um, and they knew about my work. The first dinner, that the first experience working with the standard was at uh, a dinner that felt very me. So this example is, I was asked to participate in a series called Chef Stands Up, and it was the first, that was in 2017. And the dinner that I cooked at was one of three dinners, and they were all helmed by female chefs. Uh, but the, however, the dinner that I cooked at was a little different with formatting um, because it wasn't just a pop-up dinner run by a female chef at the Miami Standard. It was uh, for Art Basel in December, and uh, I was actually cooking a dinner to celebrate designs that artists and designers um, donated, graphic designs, to um, the ACLU for a merch line. And so it was to celebrate ACLU and all the artists and collaborators that donated time and work. And so it felt very me in a way uh, where uh, I'm very intentional about all the different elements of creating a dinner experience or, you know, it can simply be about the food, but how fun would it be if it's about celebrating a ton of other things or um, feeding the people that helped support an idea? So that felt very me and I love that experience so much. And that's why I ended up talking with the CEO of The Standard a few months afterwards. So they knew. Yeah, they knew where you were coming from. They knew where I was coming from. What about in terms of developing spaces for The Standard? You've been working on the East Village one, and you have the new bar, No Bar, as well as Max coming in as a new chef at Narcisa. In terms of using the hotel, um, sort of cultivating the hotel as a community space as opposed to just a space for travelers? Mm -hmm. Well, I really look at, you know, when I look into the future of the work that I will do with the standard, it's continuing to create new initiatives for each of the properties as it as it becomes a priority. And so the East Village was a priority. And um, I actually, when I first started, I realized that I had never been to the East Village property, but I've been to the Highline location so many times. Mm -hmm. And so I asked myself, why is that? And I realized that I went to the Standard Highline mostly because of certain events that would happen, say at Boom Boom Room. And most of those events were maybe related to the opening of the Whitney nearby, which was which is like one of my favorite art institutions here in New York. And so realizing that, I thought that there was an opportunity in the East Village for it to be more community oriented, um, where, you know, proximity wise, it, it's, very close to other organizations that I know and love, where I do a lot of work with the Lower East Side Girls Club and they're just right around, you know, they're maybe like a 10 minute walk from the East Village. I also do a lot of work with Performance Space, 
which is an old arts in- institution that just got re- uh, renovated. And I know the di- I know the directors there, and I participated in events there. So I already had a deep connection to the East Village personally, and you know, just thinking about the history of the East Village, it being the birthplace of New York City punk, and also a center, uh, you know, a center where there was a huge HIV/AIDS epidemic. Um, historically, like what is happening here and what is lacking here, and also knowing that Cooper Union is half a block away, and that I have two friends that are emerging artists that have been asked to be professor or uh, be instructors there, and they've both told me on separate occasions that most of their students are non-binary, and that pure fact just makes me think about the history and the future and what we're not offering. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's how I look at spaces or. You know, I feel like I've applied my same sensibility to um, joining the team at Mission Chinese and and thinking about what what their past was as a pop-up in San Francisco and how I wanted to evolve it for New York, but also thinking about the history of the standard, it being 20 years old and then their various locations. I'd I'd like and I think we want to be providing something for a reason to the neighborhood. And, And I think then that gives a special connection to the guests that stay, they feel like they're a part of part something. Of something. You know, all right, I have two. Well, all right, I'm going to ask first, like LA Standard, which I was just at a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Like, when will that be? When will that be on your list of like, oh, are, I'm going to go from property to property to sort of assess what it is I can do here to sort yeah. of give yeah. it some new juice, or how do you approach yeah. that? I'm literally given a directive to do so. Mm-hmm. So uh, I was given the directive to check out the East Village and overhaul it. And then my other priority is our London opening, which is opening sometime this spring or summer. And then downtown LA, I've given high level concepts for renovations there for food and beverage concepts. Uh, but then I'm at the mercy of a um, you know, a design timeline, which yeah. is sometimes can take a while. Yeah. So I gave high, high level concepts for uh, food ideas that would work for that space and then you know, somewhere down the line, I would start getting my feet wet there. Um, so I've touched some things, but we, we're not able to see them yeah. yet. Um, but you have a long list. I long have a to-do really list. long list. And Are then, yeah, and then the one thing for sure in in, in, um, L- in LA is I, I'm going to start helping out with um, our retail opening, uh, which is in Hollywood, like this week. So I'm going to LA tomorrow. Um, but Wait, what is retail opening? We're gonna we're gonna redo our well. There was uh, Warby Parker in the hotel, okay. and we're taking it over and doing our own um, retail boutique shop. Cool. And so um, Sanders created a label, Standard Label, which I didn't really help with. I'm kind of coming in at the end. Um, this is kind of my my um, job description of food and culture, maybe the more cultural side of it, and bringing in a lot of. Um, um, female identifying folks that are designers or cultural forces in LA and um, they're going to be contributing to pieces that we will sell um, at our shop. So there's a lot going on. A lot going on. Well, getting back to you mentioned with non-binary and on that note, you yep. there was a piece um, on you and Eater did about a year and a half ago that Dana Evans wrote mm-hmm. and you had a quote in there talking about just how we communicate with each other these days. And you said, say a food runner came up to my friends at a table and said, what can I do for you ladies? I'd have to talk to the manager and explain that you can't just assume that we're all ladies, even though we might be wearing lipstick, et cetera, et cetera. Being in the position of management, how do you then 
communicate what the ethos of the hotel is to the people who are working there who, you know, might not know what, should I say this or should I say that? How much, how important is that now? And how do you go about sort of communicating what the the brand's philosophy is? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's like a huge undertaking. I think uh, one of the big things that I've really learned in my positioning within this huge company that is 20 years old is that I have, I've come from a background where I'm an executive chef somewhere where I'm kind of touching everything and you know, I can have an idea for a pop-up dinner concept and the whole restaurant can rally together to make that happen within um, a month. You know, it's like a smaller ecosystem. Yeah. So I have all these radical ideas and they're, they've been spoke. I mean, I, I kind of just speak freely. I, I feel like I'm in a lucky position with a corporate company where I can speak really freely with the president and CEO about where I'd like to take things. Um, but on our end, it's about um, strategizing what that is as a whole, and um, you know, being really formal about thinking about our pillars. And the exciting thing is, is that um, I've only been with a company for uh, 10, 11 months now, and my opinion matters to that. So I think we'll we'll see that uh, reflective um, in the next probably year or so. But it's a giant beast to undertake, like in a sim- maybe a more simple way. If I said, hey, I really want to overhaul what our website um, experience is like, that's something that would take a really long time. And so that level of patience is something I'm actually, I feel like, really leaning into and enjoying so that everything is really deliberate. And I think the work that I do is very intentional and deliberate. So these conversations are being had. And as far as like when we will, you will notice that as a consumer is a little hazy, but those are all things that I, I feel comfortable speaking with my, you know, my, my team and, and my direct bosses about. So that, I feel like that's a huge, I've never worked in a corporate environment. Yeah. What's I've the, never worked at a desk. What's the most challenging thing about working in a corporate environment? I think it's what I mentioned. It's a timeline. I'm very, yeah. you know, as a chef, we, it's a double-edged sword. You, you come into work and you're used to writing prep lists and banging the whole thing out. Yeah. So say there's 20 things on your list. You want to cross out every single item on there and add new ones and cross them out as you go. But something that's very new for me is that we have really long lead projects too. So uh, it's just a level of being patient with my own ideas. And then also how do I communicate that with a huge team? So that's something I'm learning and I'm enjoying that work actually. I think uh, that was something that I was intimidated by it at first, but knowing that this was a, a challenging job that I wanted to get inter- involved in, um, I'm enjoying that work of how, how do I communicate with somebody that doesn't know my creative language or hasn't worked with me directly day in and day out, like at a restaurant where there's that trust too. Do you have a neat desk or a messy desk? I have a desk that gets cluttered with things by the day and then removed so it's kind of just I add like say I have like a drink and a snack and some papers from the day they get all thrown onto my desk but then by the end of the day they're all cleared up but my drawer is kind of messy yes that's one good. of them is so then uh, right now so you you've been primarily focusing on East Village Standard does this mean in the year ahead you can be doing a lot more traveling whether it's yeah. LA or London or yeah yeah I definitely will I like don't is, even want to say that a good thing loud. or a bad thing for you it's both. I feel like I've become someone that needs to travel to see things, to be inspired. But it's also, I'm so community oriented. If I don't have a community in the places I'm, I'm visiting, I feel a little, I feel like, you know, 
I'm not at home, which is true. But I think what's really interesting about my job too is being that it is a creative direction position with food and culture, meeting and working with other creatives locally is going to be part of the job. And I, I got to really see that visiting Mexico City. We had a research trip out there and also the brand uh, was interested in um, acquiring a property in Mexico City. So I was kind of looking at it from to- so many different angles. Uh, but well, something that was really fun is I did something new um, that I hadn't done in research trips prior, which was connect us directly with someone that I thought was a strong cultural figure that does have knowledge in architecture and design and pu- writing and publications. But she's running also a amazing mezcal company out in Oaxaca, but she's someone that's uh, Japanese and she's half Japanese, but she's fluent in Spanish and she's lived in Mexico City for 12 years. I think that is part, that's a fun part of the job too, in in feeling like I get a real um, insight on what is happening during these travels. Do you have any favorite restaurants in New York at the moment? Oh my God. Um, I'm kind of, I'm really, I'm really... I feel like an old man or something because I kind of just like to go to the same places. We're also guilty of that. What, what are your what are your, what's on your list of the same places these days? Well, I also have just stacked up my list of where I could take meetings near mm-hmm. our office. Maybe that's more exciting for me. I mean, I love Hasaki. That's near um, that's near our office too. So I'll take dinner. I'll, I'll do dinners there. Uh-huh. But I also have been really enjoying taking meetings at places like B and H Dairy or. Oh, wow. Um, Veselka and just having a borscht and then yeah. chatting over an idea. Um, Very East Village. Yeah, so I've been trying to have fun doing that locally. And then um, I feel bad because I can't remember the name of the bodega, but there's a bodega on First Avenue that's like a health food store. And I've, I've gone there for these like turmeric tonics that they do. They do fresh pressed ginger oh, nice. and fresh pressed turmeric and season it with cayenne and honey. It's that kind of tonic um and then they just dump hot water on it's just really intense and in the cold mornings they've it's been really delicious so i've been getting into my power lunch options and they're not and i say power lunch and you think the grill or something like that but i'm not (laughs) talking about that i'm talking about what i can get and have quick meetings in the east village are you cooking for yourself at all these days kind of i I like to cook when I can, but I like to make really simple dishes. Like, what's, um, when's the last time you made dinner for someone? Pretty recently, actually. I made dinner for a friend, and I used mushrooms for my mushroom farm that we now have at the East Village Standard at the cafe. And we have these amazing king mushrooms and um, pink oyster mushrooms. And I really wanted to be basic. I like being at home and making like a one pot situation or a plate of pasta and a salad and then a glass of some biodynamic wine that I'm interested in trying. So I made, on the way home, I was like, I want to make a really basic pasta. I want I, it's something that a chef has to tell themselves because you can either get really wild with your ideas and reserve that energy for something and compartmentalize it, or I have to be intentional about being basic and leaning into that and being happy. So I, was, I, I told myself, I want to make a spaghetti. I just want it to be a really basic garlic mushroom pasta sauce with parsley. No oil, acid. Oil, butter, or? Just oil. Just like oil. really nice olive yeah. oil. And then? Parm? 
I did some pecorino, pecorino. at the end. Okay. And then I did a little fold of pecorino into it with yeah. a little pasta water because I'm just oversaturated too as a, as a restaurant chef. I know how to make a really tasty, fatty, buttery, cheesy pasta. But at home, I want to make it more, I don't know, I just make it more chill and yeah. like less complicated and not as rich. And I really enjoy doing that. So that's a thing I made that's recently. Just like, so simple. I mean, we, we take... I think we take cues from chefs so often as home cooks um, at a place like Bon Appetit. But there is there yeah there is that notion like where you go out to eat and you're like that cacio pepe was delicious, but it was also so rich like yeah. so much cheese so much and cheese. so much butter. Yeah, which is like I get what that is. Yeah, and okay, then you satisfy. But it's you not make this, every night eating. No, and then you make a cacio pepe, and then you get people that like macaroni and cheese to like cacio pepe and understand that, right? Um, however, at home. I can't really feed myself that stuff, and I don't really want to feed my friends that kind of stuff when they come over. Like, we can go and have that experience at restaurants and enjoy that, but not, I don't like to do that at home. Like, I don't know, another time, I'm happy to just make a giant pot of, like, chicken tortilla soup and be really careful with the ingredients. Like, char the onions, char the chilies, um, get chicken thighs, like, that will shred in a really nice way, and then get nice toppings and feel happy about serving that to a gang of people. Yeah. And it's just soup. And I like doing that. I love that. Yeah. We're going to ask you some lightning round questions. Oh, my God. Okay. You get to pick one. I'm scared. For each one. All right, ready? <laughs> okay. okay. Blonde, blue, or red? Red. Red, which it is right now. Yeah. Do you dye that yourself or do you go someplace professional? I get it bleached by uh -huh. my hairstylist, but then I upkeep with, keep with the toner, which oh. I enjoy. So it stays pretty vibrant. Right now it's looking a little duller than I'd like but red. But I like those other colors because those are all colors that I've done with my hair too. I do <laughs> primary colors. Room service breakfast or room service dinner? I like late night, so past Ooh. dinner. I like to do, I'm really, again, here's me being basic again. I like getting a burger and, or like a club sandwich anywhere in the world. Well, my next question was burger with fries or club sandwich with fries? I prefer a burger with fries. I can do a club sandwich with fries, but I think it's a little too much. I'd rather have a club oh. sandwich with a salad. Clubs went up really. If Interesting. I can. Interesting. Yeah. Club. I don't know. If, <laughs> I don't know if I can co-sign on that one. Burger what? What kind of cheese on the burger? Cheddar. Cheddar. But okay. I like American too. I'm mm -hmm. not gonna be mad if they don't have it. I just choose cheddar if I have the choice. Fancy hotel bath or fancy hotel shower? Fancy hotel bath. But in theory, no, that fancy hotel shower, but in theory bath. I just don't always make time to take baths. Mm, you got to carve out the time. Yeah. I, like when the, I like when the fancy hotel bath, then it comes, they have like the little wrapped like bath bombs or whatever. Yeah, if it's preset up that and they, it has that, that, they then, that they then charge you like $23 for after the yeah. fact, you're like, don't. If they have the yeah. things there on the bathtub, mm -hmm. then it'll encourage me to do it. Yeah. And you can sometimes say you can light a candle also. Yeah, just I totally like that. Chill out. Have the salts. Yeah. Okay, walk or skillet? I love a walk, but a skillet is more useful for me on the day, day to day. Nike or Adidas? Oh my God. I just have more Nike, so I'm gonna say Nike. Like if, if you could have one pair of Nike sneakers, what would they be? Um, I want these Nike Hirachis that were high top that, mm. um, or they're Air Maxes that they made in high top version. It was a boot. And they never came in my size because they're men's, and I just want them. <laughs> and they just, they're and never they gonna. Nev they're just never gonna make them. French fries with mayo or French fries with ketchup? I like both. 
mixed together or I like separate? them in two separate ramekins and I like to dunk yeah. and take turns. Tequila or mezcal? Mezcal. How do you take it? I've been drinking a lot of mezcal shots recently at my bar. <laughs> Chilled or just like warm? Just, just whatever. Just straight up. I have a lot of business to You have to some take cringing faces over at the production know, board Don't right now. Don't worry about it over there. Uh, we haven't talked Filipino food at all yet. We can, uh, we can touch upon it if you'd like. Chicken adobo or embutido? Um, I like embutido because it's a lot more difficult to make. So can, I'm more can you impressed. explain that to the, the non-Filipino food yeah, fans so out there? Yeah, so embutido is a pretty fancy Filipino meatloaf mm. um, where it's pork base and usually mixed with a um, Spanish chorizo and there are pickles involved, both um, sweet and there's also relish. So it has this these dots of pickles in it, which is also really fun, and then raisins and eggs sometimes. Eggs lined down the middle. Um, and so often it's made either stuffed into a chicken, and that is a whole other dish, but it's embutido in a, in a chicken, basically. Or if it's by itself, it's torsioned and steamed, and you slice it. <laughs> They're like coins. And that, and that was, now when you did your Josefina's chicken at Mission, mm -hmm. was that was that in there? And was that the stuffed chicken? That was the stuffing, but I yeah. did my own version of that. I just gave you the, uh, the authentic recipe, mm -hmm. um, but I was doing a little variant of it. There's also cheese involved. It's pretty wild. There's a lot happening wow. and eggs. Then we had Emma when we did the we did the a Christmas dinner party with you two wait last no two Christmases two ago. Two Christmases ago. Was there there was there a version of that in there with the egg in the yeah, middle? Yeah, I made yeah. it. I made it for all the Americans out there that just have loaf pans sitting around yeah. into a meatloaf form. It looks really pretty. It's not common. Yeah. Photographed well. It's normally torchon. Yeah, so and then, explain so torchon. So that's when you tie it up in a sort of a tubing yeah, sort of some, thing. Yeah, any kind of tubing. You basically use the sausage and make it into the, sh or use the um, the mixture farce and roll it into a tube that's shaped like a sausage. Yeah, a big sausage. A big one, yeah. And then you slice it into coins. Mm. Um, but we did a meatloaf version so that you could, and then I added a meatloaf vibe by i think we brushed ketchup on top yeah, it's of it kind of glazed so just so it looked good on top yeah that was really for the look but it also tastes good together it tastes good but look yeah. like they had the glazed top and then when you slice into it you get like the egg Eggs. white and yolk and everything it looks like a beautiful right. terrine yeah so we can just call it that <laughs> rather than meatloaf too a couple more questions uh leather or denim I I think recently I've been preferring leather i have more leather pieces like vintage leather and then i noticed when i moved i Marie Kondo'd my whole closet. Nice. And it looks amazing, and I get dressed very quickly, so I really recommend it to everyone. I tried to do a, a closet edit with my 11-year-old son on Saturday. I'm like, Marlon, we're going to clean up your closet. And, like, because he had... It went okay. He was kind of into it because there's all these, like, as you, especially when you're a kid, you Growing. literally grow out yeah, of stuff. Yeah, so yeah, I'm like, yeah. dude, you're never wearing this t-shirt again. You're never wearing this again. Yeah. But yeah, leather. I realized, what I was going to say is that I realized I only, shockingly, and I've had lots of denim and I used to collect this specific type of Levi. I've whittled it down to, I think I only have two pieces of denim now. Wow. Denim pants. Denim pants, pants yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe okay. three. Yeah. All right, a couple more questions. Oysters or shrimp cocktail? Mm, recently, I enjoy shrimp cocktail more. Feels more like a meal. And then oysters, I've kind of chilled out on. I only want to do maybe three oysters because mm. I've really hurt myself over oy like oyster happy hours as a young man. <laughs> <laughs> so. All right, last question: uh, butter or olive oil? Olive oil. 
I've been really into Well, I like both, but I cook more with olive oil at home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. Pasta Thanks, Angela. Yeah, thank you. The Bon Appetit Foodcast is produced by Carrie Polis and Christina Che and produced and edited by Emma Wurtzman. Our theme music is by Nathaniel Wurtzman. We have new episodes every Wednesday, and if you want to tell us about this or any other episode, email us at bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.